Hey there, everybody, and welcome to the Cinema Drip Podcast, the podcast where we need movies like we need our coffee. As always, I am Scott Lentz, here with my good friend and co-host Christian Ubius. Christian, it is a lovely Monday evening as we sit down to record. How are you, my friend? It's the first day of February. Am I a better friend or am I a better co-host? Um, hmm. I'm not sure how to answer that question because I'm afraid that either one might be interpreted as a slight. So I'm just going to abstain. I'll plead the fifth for now. But I think also either one would be a generous boost to my ego that I would hold over you. So I just need to know which poison you want to drink. Um, then Christian, you are a better friend. I mean, how could you be anything <laughs> less? You're so good at being a friend. <laughs> I, I I did see that you and I, I saw your letterboxed um uh, thing for for the frick what was the Wes Anderson movie I gave you? Bottle Rocket. Bottle Rocket. I did see that and I was like, aw, that's precious. Hey, everybody deserves a good friend in their life who will not only start a dumb podcast with them, but who will buy them Criterion Collection Blu-rays for their birthday. That is that is a friend that you need in your life. So listeners at home, <laughs> if you don't have one of those Go find one. Go get one. Or just tell your friends what you want. And what you want is Criterion Collection Blu-rays. Or email us at cinemadrippodcast at gmail.com with the subject line, Christian, will you be my friend? Uh, answers Careful, will vary. Answers, my answers will vary. <laughs> answers will vary. I, now I'm concerned because I'm afraid the listeners are going to start hitting us up for free Criterion Collection DVDs and Blu-rays, which uh, we don't have a budget for yet, so... Maybe one day, if we get enough people listening. There's your incentive, folks. As soon as we start getting that Squarespace money, buy an ad, buy an ad space on our podcast here. That's when we can start bribing you with Criterion Collection DVDs. But until then, uh, we have... Okay, so today we're going to be talking about four different movies and then about, like, a hundred more movies. That's right. That's right, Christian. So... Given that it is the first Friday of February, and what a satisfying month. It's a perfectly rectangular month. Not sure if you've seen that yet, but we'll get to have exactly four episodes here in February. We're going to kick off with a normal streaming recommendations episode where Christian and I will share four recommendations, two reflecting on something inspired by last month. So we'll be looking at ensemble movies inspired by American Graffiti, and we'll also be looking ahead at two movies and the hint was that we're going to be looking at two movies directed by Robert Zemeckis. So after you listen to the recommendations, do stick around because Christian got to do something pretty exciting related to the movies this weekend. And we have a bonus episode coming out to to touch on it more in depth. So stick around. We have some fun stuff coming out. First things first, we get to talk about our first recommendation, an ensemble movie recommended by Christian and spoiler alert, I actually like this movie more than he does, and yet it is his recommendation. But Christian, I leave it to you to introduce it. My recommendation is a 2001 movie. It's a heist movie. It is Ocean's Eleven. Now, it's written by Ted Griffin, but it's directed by Steven Soderbergh. This is, oh, how to best say this? George Clooney just got out of jail. He is Danny Ocean. However, he wants to go back and rob again but can't do it by himself and so recruits 10 people i mean it's oceans 11 (laughs) and together they go out and uh, target three 
Las Vegas casinos. Now, I, I will put this out there. I am recommending this because I think that it is an important piece of not just film, but kind of pop cultural history. Because, I mean, the names on this thing are massive. We have George Clooney, we've got Brad Pitt, we've got Julia Roberts, Matt Damon's in here, Casey Affleck's on here for a little bit. So it's it, it's quite interesting, to say the least, of how you got so many people in the early 2000s who would continue on in their careers. I enjoyed it. I don't think it was the most in-depth movie watching experience I ever have but I am happy to recommend this because the same way that American Graffiti makes you want to hang out with those people I think that a couple individuals want to hang out with Matt Damon and want to hang out with George Clooney and want to hang out with Brad Pitt or Julia Roberts as they do cool things among those individuals uh, is me. I would very much like to hang out with George Clooney and Matt Damon and Brad Pitt. I would do, I would do almost anything to hang out with George Clooney, Matt Damon, and Brad Pitt. If you fellas are out there listening, I, I will buy you dinner. Uh, we can go wherever you want. I will deal with that later. I know you probably have expensive tastes being movie stars, but hey, it's me. Let me hang out with you. Ocean's Eleven is truly a blockbuster classic. It's a massive franchise at this point not only were there oceans 12 and 13 but we also had oceans 8 the all-female spin-off and it's just a very beloved movie especially if you love movie stars and for christian we were sussing this out in text over the weekend i feel that christian you may respond if you wish but i don't want to belabor this point so feel free just to ignore this but i think that you are less interested in movie stardom and why we love certain people as movie stars and what different movie stars bring to the table. And that's something that I appreciate as a topic a little bit more, which is part of why I love this movie and t tends to be why people love oceans 11. Cause they just love movie stars. So do you have, do you have thoughts on that? I don't know. I, I, I really, really enjoy this movie. It's, it's not like Scott's top 10 of all time, but it's one that I'd very much enjoy. Oh, well, in, in the sense, I don't necessarily need it movie stars i need characters like i would rather have a character that i care about than a movie star um and there are some very interesting characters here i wanted to recommend this because i do think a lot of people not only will enjoy it but do enjoy it and i think that it is worth people's time to see it it's currently streaming on hbo max it's funny and if the greatest sin that a movie can commit is to be boring, then I think this one surpasses that. It's an entertaining ride the entire time. There's not one moment where you're not interested in what's going on on screen. And whatever I told you, like, yes, Ocean's Eleven is not in my personal pantheon of best movies or hangout movies. But I think that a lot of people should still see it. That much we can agree on. I recently watched the trilogy. I rewatched Ocean's Eleven for the first time in a little while, rewatched Ocean's Twelve for the first time since high school, and watched Ocean's Thirteen for the first time ever recently. And I'm a fan of all the movies. I think my personal enjoyment goes down a little bit with each entry, but they each bring something different to the table. Ocean's Eleven sets up the formula. Ocean's Twelve takes them to Europe and is a different flavor of movie than just a heist movie. And then Ocean's Thirteen runs it back again. They're back in Vegas, but this time Al Pacino's involved. So 
definitely a great trilogy if you're looking to watch some safely good movies and while away a weekend with with your pals now we are on to my pick for an ensemble movie that is available to stream my ensemble recommendation is on netflix it is directed by Martin Scorsese, or as I should say, it's directed by Martin Scorsese. It's The Departed. The Departed on Netflix. It's the best picture winner. If you haven't seen it, I don't know what your problem is. And that is all I will do of the Boston accent. I'm <laughs> currently regretting you. life choices. <laughs> to spare you all. But yes, it's The Departed. 2006, Martin Scorsese's semi-controversial best picture winner, not because... It won Best Picture necessarily, but because most people argue he has better movies that didn't win Best Picture. But hey, what can you do? Stars Jack Nicholson, Leo DiCaprio, Matt Damon again, and Mark Wahlberg, as well as some other lovable actors in smaller parts. It is about a cat and mouse game between two police officers. One played by Leo DiCaprio, who is sent undercover with this crime family, and one played by Matt Damon, who is in the opposite situation. He's undercover for the crime family as a cop. And the situation spirals further and further out of control as they are trying to track down the other before getting killed. The Departed is a movie that I watched a long time ago, again in high school, and finally revisited recently and enjoyed it just the same. If you like Scorsese, if you like any of the actors that I mentioned, if you like Boston movies, which despite the fact that I've only been to that city once, I love Boston movies. And if you like crime movies, it is definitely a worthwhile watch. It gets a little bit out of hand at times. Like it just gets so big and and out of control with the conspiracy and the trying to track down identities. And there's some plot details that don't always pay off as satisfyingly as you wish, but it's it's still just a really satisfying movie and really um, what's the right words here? I think it just satisfies the craving. If you're looking for a crime movie, Boston, it's heavy, something like that. So yeah, my recommendation is the parted. Okay. Uh, I love this. I have seen the first half of the departed um, years ago. And do I remember it? No. And so when I watch this, I'm like, Oh wait, yeah, this movie slaps, man. I, I was so thoroughly enjoying it because it's this also tale of mortality very much in a way and not just a mortality of the physical but a mortality of the self of what it means to let all of who you are go and who does your identity hinge on. That was what I was getting throughout this entire experience not only did I, I love Leonardo DiCaprio in this so much. I think it's one of my uh, more favorable performances that he, of his that I have. But also Mark Wahlberg. This was Mark Wahlberg's first Oscar nomination. And Mark Wahlberg is not in that much of the movie. But I'm not upset at that nomination because I think he kills it. I think that he is not just memorable, which I is is something that you need to do but deliberate um on point and uh, a propelling force in this in not just telling the other characters what he thinks of them he talks a lot in this movie and each time he talks it's great but also making sure that his impression is there even when he's not on screen 
So absolutely recommend The Departed. Heck yeah. Wahlberg is so great. And the fact that he got an Oscar nomination for this movie kind of blows my mind because, like you said, he is in so little. But what he's in is good. Yes. His character definitely has an interesting part to play in this conspiracy as one of the cops who's helping lead the undercover unit that DiCaprio is in. And he just lets off some absolute heaters in terms of insults or creative swear words. <laughs> Let's just, just say the explicit yeah. tag is not enough. Yes. The the departed has an almost famous amount of profanity. There's, I think it's over a hundred uses of the F word alone, something like that. Uh, that's it's, fine. Yeah, that's fine. Don't watch this with your kids. If you got them. <laughs> But watch, <laughs> Don't it, with watch your it with grandparents. your grandparents. Sweet, sweet, sensitive grandparents, maybe not. But it it it's a blast. So again, my recommendations: The Departed. It's available on Netflix. That's looking back. A couple ensemble movies available to stream. And now we look ahead, Christian. We will soon reveal our blend of the month for February. But first, we do have a couple movies to recommend, directed by Robert Zemeckis. <laughs> Now, Zemeckis is a really interesting guy. He has had a very just cool directorial career. He has He's some, eclectic. He's eclectic. He has some all-time classics. Back to the Future, Forrest Gump winning him Best Picture, Cast Away with Tom Hanks. But he's also made animated movies or movies that play with animation in interesting ways. He's made wacky sci-fi stories. He's made adventure movies. He has made serious, hard-hitting dramas and kind of everything in between his most recent movies haven't been as successful as some of his others but still a really interesting hollywood figure and so we have a couple to recommend from him from the earlier portion of his career and christian again i turn it to you to go first so my first recommend well what uh, i don't know what i'm saying first my recommendation is 1984's romancing the stone so it was written by diane thomas and honestly diane thomas i don't know how much you know about her but is a fascinating figure in Hollywood history. I'll talk a little bit more about her later. Uh, and it's starring Kathleen Turner and Michael Douglas. It's an action rom-com about this romance writer whose sister gets kidnapped in Colombia, and she gets a call from the people, from the Americans who are in Colombia who kidnapped her sister, asking her to come home because apparently... Kathleen Turner for some reason has a treasure map and so she (laughs) needs to take this treasure map to them um and along the way she meets Michael Douglas's character who's who's there for no reason but just shows up and they together find like go on the quest to find it I had no clue what was going on in, in terms of the story I know what was going on in terms of the plot this is some Okay, okay. This is some white people nonsense story right here that I kind of loved. Oh my goodness. From the white people. You're welcome. Oh, I love white people. They gave me the cast of Friends. And so it's it's just so interesting get, getting to delve into it. And not only that, I've it seemed to me that the filmmakers and the actors were having a good time. And I had a good time because of them. But I did also want to spotlight the screenwriter, Diane Thomas, who was found while she was 
working as a waitress. And so she was, she wrote this script that they loved. She sadly died in a car accident shortly after this film was released, but she was working on several different things. For example, she had written a, a preliminary script for the third Indiana Jones movie for Spielberg, whom he chose to go, which was not accepted, but only because um, it was like a haunted house element. Even so, though, like a haunted house, Indiana Jones seems like it'd be pretty wild and like a pretty cool thing to go through. Temple of Doom, I guess, is similar to that, but I will digress. I think that Diane Thomas is someone who had a ton of potential, and I am sad after seeing this movie that she she only was able to write two screenplays. She is someone who did achieve the Hollywood dream of being discovered. Um, I just wish that she she would have continued on that journey. Yeah, it's a tragedy, and I never knew that story. It makes the runaway success of Romancing the Stone a little bit bittersweet in a way, just because for a writer whose first movie, her first screenplay gets discovered and picked up by people like Michael Douglas and Robert Zemeckis and turns into a smash hit, you obviously would hope for many more movies from them. And it's just disappointing that she was not able to continue on with her career, let alone her life. But Romancing the Stone was a smash hit that year, and it came out of nowhere. Kathleen Turner had only been in a couple movies by that point, most notably debuting in Body Heat by Lawrence Kasdan, I believe, which is a just erotic, steamy movie. And then Michael Douglas had not yet become Michael Douglas, but he did produce One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest to a Best Picture winning Oscar. So he produced Romancing the Stone while helping to get his uh, acting career continue to get it off the ground. I guess it was off the ground by that point. He's the son of Kirk Douglas, but he became a movie star after this movie. And Robert Zemeckis, again, came out of nowhere. He This is his third film, I believe, feature. He had a couple not as well-received at the time movies. I Want to Hold Your Hand, which is a, a Beatles movie, I believe. I'm, I think it's about female fans of the Beatles who try to make it to a concert. And then a movie called Used Cars, another comedy about a used car salesman. So Romancing the Stone is this giant on-location adventure romantic adventure movie and nobody's expecting it to succeed it's received so poorly in pre-production that he gets fired from a different movie <laughs> because they're expecting it to be so bad and then it's a smash hit it's one of the top 10 grossing movies of the year wins the golden globe for best comedy or musical and wins kathleen turner best actress in a comedy or musical also picks up an oscar nomination for film editing but it's just a really fun adventure movie it comes out the same year as Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, another movie that you just mentioned, Christian. And if you like Indiana Jones, this is certainly an enjoyable movie that's walking in this lineage of adventure movies starring recognizable actors having a good time. I like this movie more than Indiana Jones, but... Oh my gosh. <laughs> Let's just try this blasphemy against Indiana Jones. Um, I, I haven't seen the indie sequels in a long time. I just still relish in how much I love Raiders, but this is not better than Raiders in my opinion, but it's still quite good. I, I am a fan of this genre, these throwbacks to serialized adventure stories, which there's even sort of a wink and a nod at with Kathleen Turner's character. Uh, her name is Joan Wilder is a romance novelist who is always dreaming of this a man who will walk out of one of her books and sweep her off her feet. She's waiting for the right person. And of course she finds him on this great adventure of her own. So 
definitely an enjoyable adventure. Uh, unfortunately, Christian, there was a bit of a streaming snafu, so go ahead and explain that where listeners can find this movie. I watched this on Prime, and then Prime decided to kick it out of Prime, and so now you can find it on Cinemax. Indeed you can. So, alas, not the most streamable, though it was quite streamable a moment ago. If you want, it also has a sequel called The Jewel of the Nile. I, have not I think seen that's it. also on Cinemax. Yeah, you should be able to catch it. So if you like this, there's a sequel. And now my Robert Zemeckis recommendation. It is a weird one, folks, and I'm excited to talk about it. It is 1992's Death Becomes Her. Death Becomes what Her What a weird stars, movie. Yes. Stars what a wild movie. Bruce Willis, Meryl Streep, and Goldie Hawn with Isabella Rossellini in a key supporting performance. Uh, Bruce Willis is Dr. Ernest Menville, a plastic surgeon who is dating Helen Sharp, a aspiring writer. And she, unfortunately, loses Ernest to Madeline Ashton, an actress frenemy of hers, played by Meryl Streep. And time passes, and both Madeline and Helen, in their eternal quest to have Ernest and his affections, find their way to... Liesel von Roman, played by Isabella Rossellini, who is a mysterious woman with the secrets to eternal beauty. That is not even really explaining well the plot of Death Becomes Her. It's really a wacky and twisty movie. It is an extremely atypical Hollywood movie, but it was another big success for Zemeckis. It won an Oscar for visual effects. It made over $100 million at the box office. And obviously starring these big movie stars... I honestly couldn't tell you why this movie was such a huge hit with how weird it is, but I was a fan. And Christian, I was delighted to find out that after you watched it, you were an even bigger fan of it than I was. Yo, this movie's great. It's a tale not just of death, but kind of the superficiality and wasted superficiality in such a unique way. Wait, the color scheme of this movie, I think, is is quite incredible. And the physical comedy between Goldie Hawn, Meryl Streep, and Bruce Willis, I mean, is still good. It's still funny. I don't think any of these jokes have aged poorly. And I think that all of them are working at around when they were the most popular. I mean, Goldie Hawn has been, had been popular for decades beforehand, but even... Meryl Streep, I think, she first burst into the scene. I don't know if it was mid to late 80s with Kramer versus Kramer. I don't know if this is I'm before sure or after in the Sophie's 70s, Choice. I think she's kind of just been important for a long time. But, <laughs> but in, in terms of Hollywood star movies, these are three Hollywood stars. They're just, it's not a come hang out with us movie. It's like kind of a prank war movie. Yeah, it's it's really unusual. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think one of the best parts about it, too, is Bruce Willis is playing just this very dweeby, ineffectual man. And he, at this point, was very famous for being an action star, having appeared in Die Hard. And he came up doing comedy. So it's back to his, his comedic roots here. But so funny seeing him be this this kind of lame guy who leaves his fiance for another woman and then ends up in a very loveless marriage with this woman and and gets ensnared in in their battle over him. But one thing I noticed about Death Becomes Her is that it has just such a a wonky flow to it. It's not 
easily set up and even major plot events don't happen or I guess events that are important to explaining the synopsis. So not just like the plot twists, but things that are important to understanding the plot of this movie aren't happening until halfway through or even later in the movie. It's, it is so unusual and so strange and very lovable. I think it's, I hope it's something that people watch. They give it a try and they enjoy because it's really weird, but (laughs) I think really good. And it's fun to see people like Meryl Streep, who she's done everything in her career. She's one of the the greatest actresses of all time, obviously, but just having a ball of a time in an extraordinarily weird role. And I I don't think I've ever actually seen a Goldie Hawn movie before. So it's fun to now get to see Goldie Hawn, who unfortunately didn't have staying power just because she kind of went the way of many actresses as they age in Hollywood, which is unfortunate because she's hysterical. And Bruce Willis is Bruce Willis. Where can we find it? So Death Becomes Her is available to stream on HBO Max. Give it a try. It's weird and wonderful. You know, HBO Max is quickly becoming just one of the best things. When I need something to watch, I normally just troll HBO Max and wait until something catches my fancy. And then that's when I'll pick a movie to watch. It's just got so many good movies available. And whether you're Modern looking for, classics. Yes. Whether you're looking for a classic or you're looking for just a big blockbuster movie that you remember fondly it's got it all so i'm a big hbo max fan and it has seasons one through six of game of thrones ah yes all seasons seasons one through six do you want to talk to the people about what's going to happen next scott yes i do so we're going to make you wait a little bit longer before we reveal next month's blend of the month keep robert zemeckis swirling in your mind as you try to guess but we have a special treat for you here as I mentioned, Christian got to do something pretty cool this weekend, and we are going to invite his roommate and both of our friends, Tyler, onto the show here to discuss their weekend at Virtual Sundance. And I'm very excited to hear more about their time watching movies at a festival from the comfort of their own apartment. It is with great joy that we welcome on Tyler Penn here to the Cinema Drip Podcast. Tyler, thank you for making your debut appearance here. How you doing? Doing great. Thanks for having me. We are glad that you're here and glad that you were able to partake in the Sundance festivities with Christian. So in light of everything going on in the world, if you're following movies, I'm sure you already know this, but the Sundance Film Festival was not able to happen in person this year. So many of the movies that were accepted were able to be viewed online. Tickets were purchasable, whether for a single movie or a pass. And Christian and Tyler took the plunge into checking out some of Sundance's offerings this year. So just going to tease a little bit here, ask them a couple questions, but we actually have a bonus episode coming out with these two where they will talk more in depth about the movies they watched. So do check that out later. It's one that I'm looking forward to listening to myself, but Christian and Tyler, how would you guys describe just the virtual Sundance experience? I'm sure it was a little bit unusual getting to see this many new movies at once. And many of them, you hadn't even heard anything about them beyond just the synopsis. So how was the experience? I mean, I've, I haven't even ever been to a film festival before, so it's not like I had any prior knowledge. And, and so I guess going into this, it was just, it, it, it doesn't feel like it's a streaming service though. It feels very much like this is something special just by the fact that we had like a Sundance trailer played before every single movie. But also, we were able to partake in a couple of Q&As. We had, like, one of our questions read on air for one of the movies we saw. And it, 
it, the chat functions for some of these movies were incredibly positive like you think about all the negative stuff that you can see on social media everyone in the chat was like guys check out this movie this movie was really cool this movie was awesome if you haven't seen it there's a second screening tomorrow so i kind of wish we'd been able to see these people in person because they seemed like just film lovers and not people who wanted to put down movies even when there were movies and both of us had movies that we weren't fans of mm -hmm. And we're assuming other people weren't fans of either. There, No one was in the chat like saying, yo, screw this movie. This was the worst thing in the world. So it was positive, like not just in terms of being able to watch movies, but also in terms of who we were around with and how we were there to celebrate these people who for some, it was like their debut feature. Yeah, it was pretty sweet how even in the virtual setting, you got a sense of community, like Christian is saying, and everyone just bouncing off of each other. It was exciting you know a lot of these were world premieres that we got to see um and i think getting to even hear from the artists was super dope for me you can't just like walk away from a film and like that was it like wash your hands i want to know more and there's an opportunity to learn more about like what went into it which was a lot of fun i don't know it was, it was refreshing i think being at a film festival um, it was also my first one that's good to hear i Myself once was able to go to the Telluride Film Festival, which was an incredible experience, but not getting to be there in person with people definitely is disappointing, whether it's chatting with people in line or saying hi to somebody at a restaurant or a bar or just getting to hear about what's gaining in popularity there is pretty cool. So it's nice that Sundance made a way for that to happen and that you were able to still experience some of that community aspect and engaging with the artists aspect as well. That's pretty cool. So I don't want to step on the, the bonus episode here, but again, just trying to tease it out a little bit. So um, any movies that you want to mention that maybe are more popular coming out of the festival that you got to see, things that you'll go into more depth, or maybe one that you didn't like so much but thought it was intriguing. I don't know, just maybe one or two movies here that you got to see that you want to prepare the listeners to hear more about for the bonus episode. I'm not going to reveal what this movie is, but we will be talking about it. Um, when we when we spoke about Palm Springs, we talked about how Palm Springs had broken the record for most movies spent at Sundance to get a distributor, um, or how Hulu had bought it for a record-breaking amount of money. We were able to watch the film that has now surpassed Palm Springs in amount of money spent. And that movie will be coming out, well, we don't know when, but it'll be coming out on Apple TV+. And uh, we have some thoughts on that film. Yeah, you don't want to spoil too much. We want everyone to tune into the bonus episode, of course. Um, this film that Christian's referring to was awesome, in my opinion. Like it was, it was amazing. Not going to spoil it, but no, I think a lot of them. Yeah, how to keep this broad, not specific. I think a lot of them did bring up like great conversation points, and I think that that was there's so much diversity in what we saw it's even tough to compare them but put into a festival we had like a great opportunity to do that watching them back to back to back so even on the bonus episode when we go through them there's a lot to analyze and a lot of different approaches to film um, we saw so much international cinema yeah about a third of what we saw was world cinema nice so you, you know you're mentioning that you got to watch a lot of movies this was a big weekend planned out for you guys so last question i want to ask you here just to prime the listeners tell us the 
first movie that you watched, what you know, what time it was on what day, and then the last movie you watched, what time it was on what day, and how many total were fit into that time frame. I actually have the we we have the exact times for all of them because in order to be able to fit these movies in, we had to like plan out even when we would stop and order pizza. Like that was factored into our time. Like if we would shower or not, the answer became no. And when um, like when we could, if we had a pee break or when we needed to go get lunch stuff. So we, yeah. Um, I mean, you know the times. I, I'll give the ending one, but you give the first one. Yeah, so we started at three o'clock on Friday. But we kind of spread them out well for the first couple of days. We watched, I'm going to say that we watched nine on Sunday. We watched nine on Sunday. And so do you want to give when we ended? Uh, So 3 p.m. on Friday was our start time. The last movie we started watching Sunday at 9 p.m. And uh, it was around an hour. No, no, we didn't start at nine. We actually started it er around five to ten minutes earlier at eight fifty, something. Because I I, I remembered we were ahead of schedule, <laughs> and so we around an hour and a half. We ended eleven fifteen, eleven twenty p.m. or so on Sunday, and our day on Sunday started at seven a.m. So we at seven a.m. clicked the button for the first movie of that day, which was our seventh movie overall. Yeah, we started at number seven finished with 15 films it's beautiful you watched three on friday three on saturday and then went from six total to nine on sunday to finish at 15 i applaud you i'm impressed all right y'all we got a bonus episode coming soon where you will go a little bit more in depth with all 15 movies that you watched and just offer your preliminary rankings for these movies I will be looking forward to it. Tyler, thanks for joining us. We're looking forward to your full-length appearance on the show with the Sundance episode later this week. Thanks for having me. Alrighty, now it's the moment all the listeners have been waiting for. We get to finally reveal the February blend of the month. So, the prompt was to bring a movie recommended by or directed by Robert Zemeckis. That is because the first movie in this blend is also directed by Robert Zemeckis. It came in between the two movies that we discussed, Romancing the Stone and Death Becomes Her. And that movie is Who Framed Roger Rabbit? And we will be looking at movies that blend live action and animation. It is a genre that I am a fan of. I grew up a big Looney Tunes fan as a child. And so I have very fond memories of some of the Looney Tunes movies. And I just think it's an interesting genre, partially because it has not been a thing for a while, just because it's sort of been taken over by blockbusters. Transformers movies are CGI, but it's like live action animated for the modern age. But with the upcoming release of the sure to be instant classic Tom and Jerry dropping on HBO Max later this month, I wanted to take Christian on a journey to discuss live action and animated movies blended together for a wonderful blend of the month, if you will, here in February. Tyler, have you ever seen Who Framed Roger Rabbit? I have not. Wait, really? I haven't seen it. I've avoided it for many, many years, (laughs) and I've still avoided it. it. Have you intentionally avoided Who Framed Roger Rabbit? 
I have. I think my parents like warned me just not to watch it as a kid. And I, I you know, sometimes you can't justify parents' actions, um, but I still live with the consequences. Interesting. Wait, are we gonna watch it? Are you gonna avoid this one? Or are we gonna watch it together? I might still avoid it. <laughs> okay. No, it's fine. Loser. I'm sure that this is due to Jessica Rabbit, as pro- uh, presuming that is why your parents kept it from you. And <laughs> I'm looking forward to unpacking another Kathleen Turner and Robert Zemeckis collaboration <laughs> in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Christian, in general, how are you feeling about this blend? I'm not going to lie, Sky. You're, you're pretty weird, man, in what you've chosen. I like to keep it weird with my... My, my blends curate some some from the man who brought you draft day from the man who brought you football month and that is something i do not regret folks who framed roger rabbit is available to stream on disney plus catch up with it and you can take part in uh, our episode next week as we look ahead to a new blend for february As always, if you have reached the end of this episode, we thank you so much for listening. It really does mean a lot to know that we are watching movies and talking about them and putting this out there and we have people listening. Thanks so much for your support. It means the world. If you wouldn't mind, there are a couple other ways that you can support the podcast and help us grow. Number one, leave us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts. It helps us grow, get more notice on that app, and just be found more by folks searching for good movie podcasts. Number two, feel free to drop us a line at cinemadrippodcast at gmail.com. We love to read some feedback from listeners on the show and consider it as we think about future blends of the month. I know listener Paul Gonzalez threw out magic movies, and listener Kate Williams wanted us to take a look at We Can Be Heroes. I'm not sure if or when that will happen but we do thank you for the feedback and just to make sure we put our money where our mouth is we may have to talk about it at some point in the future so please do send us an email at cinemadrippodcast at gmail.com you can also follow us on twitter at cinemadrip or follow christian and myself on letterboxd where we are constantly updating reviewing rating things that we are watching i in fact just recently posted about the oceans movies so if you want to see my thoughts on those movies check it out christian any uh, big sundance reviews coming or are you just going to keep it with the ratings for now i have rated every single movie that i saw at sundance currently i might just be trying to get tyler on to letterboxd not sure but uh i might the thing is is that some of these movies don't have distribution yet and so i don't want to like review a film necessarily that may not be seen for like two years and only come out on pvod so i think that i'll write down favorable reviews for movies but the movies that i disliked i won't put anything for because they still deserve to be picked up by a distributor there you go thoughtful engagement with letterboxd from christian and we're officially starting our hashtag get tyler on letterboxd campaign join in donate to the cause we're gonna make it happen Christian, any final words for the folks listening at home? Um, you should be able to, as soon as you're done listening to this, just put on the bonus episode. I think I'm working overtime this week on getting that, to, to getting both to come out at the same time. And we at Cinema Drip Industries, thank you for it. Not like always, he's Tyler Penn. And like always, I'm Scott Lentz, here with Christian Ubius, and this has been the Cinema Drip Podcast. Ending recording now. <laughs>